0: To chapter tactics your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game i'm your host pablo and today is going to be a very short episode unfortunately i've been helping reese and frankie getting ready for the socal open and we've all been working hard building terrain and i've been working late shifts to try and catch up on a lot of the work i'm going to be missing when i'm at the socal open because i'm going to be not only are we going to be busy friday with with setup we're going to be busy monday with cleanup and then we've got, of course, the whole weekend. And so, I, basically, I haven't had a lot of time to to get find a guest and record an, a full-on episode and get everything ready. So today I'm just going to cover the tournament results for the last weekend. And I'm going to talk about the new ITC missions, because I know a bunch of you guys are preparing for the SoCal Open and want to know a little bit about the ITC missions, and obviously I've been playing them a little bit longer than everyone else. Actually, I've known about them a little bit longer than everyone else. Um, I've been lucky and fortunate enough to help Reese and Frankie beta test them and, and give my own personal feedback. And so I hope you guys like them. But essentially, uh, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about tournament results. The tournament results are uh, a little bit predictable. And at the end of the tournament results, I will also go over... My predictions for the SoCal Open. Who I think is gonna win? What actually? What faction I think is gonna win? Because I don't think a specific players. I don't think I can name a specific player. I, I do have one player in my head. Uh, but basically, we'll we'll talk about tournament results. Uh, I'll predict probably a top eight for the SoCal Open. You know, if we hit two hundred players, it, it, a top eight. You know, is is a big deal, right? Of two top eight out of two hundred players is is huge. So we'll probably maybe get one or two undefeated people, and that's going to be it. All right, on the to tournament news, first up is the Salt City Gladiator Games. This was won by Nick Wanker. Nick, good job, buddy. He won with uh, the ba- the Chaos Bash Brothers, is what I've been hearing a lot lately online. It's basically Mortarion, uh, Magnus the Red, a Renegade Knight with two Gatling Cannons, and then he has a nice little contingent of Chaos Demons, with brimstone horrors and the changeling to, you know, protect his backfield. It's it's a, it's a it's really something you're gonna see very common. He actually got full battle points except for one at the very last game, so he went 19 and or 19, 19, 19, 19, and then 18 in a five round GT. That's pretty that's pretty big. I don't know if that was uh, maybe the lack of competition uh, or people didn't expect it or or Nick is a phenomenal player. I don't know what combination of that it is uh, but congratulations to nick that's uh, it's obviously winning a gt is a big deal no matter what list you're running so kudos to nick uh, and that's another chaos list he's registered as chaos demons but his primary fat his primary detachment is chaos undivided which is that lord of war detachment at, per the itc rules so he's not actually chaos Demons. so don't get your hopes up chaos demon players a chaos demon list did not win was not didn't have Screamers and, and, and you know, uh, Demonettes and all that good stuff. It, it was just chaos soup. It's pretty much. Okay, second place went to Scott Knudsen with a really interesting Imperium list. Uh, he had Celestine. He had a bunch of mortar teams. And then he also had Gilliman, some land speeder Storm, some Scouts, and the pre- the Three Predators for for the Cool Shot Stratagem. And that was, that was basically his list. Uh, he had a Clexus Assassin in there too, I think. You know, the usual Imperium good stuff. Uh, no scions, but it was it was kind of an interesting list. It was a very, very board control, you know, gunline space marine list that probably revolved around getting Celestine up the board, maybe with maybe with an assassin to kind of disrupt and then use the predator's to kill shot. Uh, it was an interesting list. He he went four and one. He was the second best player. He he was ultramarines primary, uh, but it was all once again more of an Imperium soup. And there's a little bit of a trend here, if you notice. Uh, I'm planning on a very special episode. And right now, currently, the two best factions are Imperium Soup and Chaos Soup. I think the best codex is, I think, in my opinion, Guard. And a lot of people will agree with me that the Guard Codex is the best codex. But the best overall faction is maybe Chaos. It's Chaos Soup, Chaos Undivided, Chaos, the keyword, Chaos. Right, I think that might be the best overall faction. And uh, judging from the results of the past two weeks, past three weeks, actually, uh, since, yeah, no, just since the Iron Halo, um, there's, you know, and, and Nova, too. There was a lot of really powerful Chaos lists in Nova, too. But judging from all those results, it's, it's pretty obvious that Chaos is on top right now. Uh, but Imperium is a solid second right beneath them. But maybe not. Maybe some people think Imperium are more powerful and Chaos are less powerful. It's, it's really a matter of opinion. But anyways, going on to third place, Tim Travers with Blood Angels. And a lot of the times when I, when I talk about a, a Blood Angels list right, or like a Space Wolves list or a Dark Angels list, people will complain saying that, oh, it's, it's not a Blood Angels list. Like, um, for example, Danny Kwan, last year at the ITC, the best Blood Angels player, he was playing a Blood Angels list, and he he was trying to go for best Blood Angels, and he had um, the, uh, you guys are going to yell at me right now, I cannot remember his name, Mephiston, the, the librarian, the, the Blood Angels librarian, the, the, the named character i i think it might be Mephiston. anyways so he had he had him he had dante he had, a, he had two fire raptors uh, and salt jump pack marines and some razorbacks some, you know some good stuff uh but and a dreadnought some furosos uh some death company dreadnoughts and drop pods the, essentially danny kwan had this mix of blood angels with with kind of like an ultramarine's allies and with the Fire Raptors, but the Fire Raptors were also Blood Angels Fire Raptors. But a lot of people were complaining, saying that it wasn't a real Blood Angels list. And I just want to clarify that that Tim Travers might not have a real Blood Angels list per per what you guys think. But the important thing is is that he wasn't running like Gilliman, or he wasn't running you know Chaos Soup. He was still he still won with Blood Angels. He still primarily used Blood Angels. Uh, so you, in competitive environments, you have to kind of take what you can. So if someone wins with an underpowered faction like Gene Colt and they brought in guard allies, maybe some Tyranid allies, they're still Gene Syrkholt primary, and you think you still got to give them a little bit of credit. Same thing with the Custodes players. I see a lot of Custodes players who, who are doing actually really well, and um, they're bringing you know adeptus Custodes, venerable land raiders because they're really hard to kill, and then they're also bringing in like Gilliman or Celestine or assassins. You know, something to make the the faction more competitive, and that's okay. They're still, I, in my opinion, they're still handicapping themselves because they're still primarily taking this underpowered faction, but they're also bringing in other stuff to make themselves competitive, which is perfectly okay. Anyways, on to Tim Travers list. Sorry about the, sorry about that, guys. So he had Lamardes, Chaplain Lamardes, uh, High Priest, a unit of twenty Death Company, probably to deep strike in with the High Priest and the. The Sanguinary Priest and the uh, Chaplain, and then uh, two Devastator squads with heavy bolters, two Leviathan dreadnoughts, one with storm cannons, one with a grab flux bombard and a siege claw. Uh, he calls her the aberration of Sanguinus, but it's Saint Celestine. a Clexus assassin, an Eversor assassin, and a Derradeo dreadnought in another detachment, and that's the list. It's uh, very simple, uh, very interesting. It doesn't have a huge board presence. So you drop down with the twenty Death Company and the two HQs and maybe Celestine, and you kind of make your presence known in one part of the board. But dreadnoughts themselves aren't the best at at covering a board or or zoning your opponent, you know, because hordes can just over overcome them. You know, cold like for example, chaos cultists, chaos cultists could just run up to those dreadnoughts and be like, "Kill us!" And if they kill them, they go, "Okay, good job, you killed us." Now the berserkers behind us are going to kill you, or vice versa and the Chaos Cultists aren't going to kill the Dreadnoughts, they're just going to keep them in combat forever. So it, that's just one example. There's obviously other other examples of a board control uh, Green Knights getting in their face with guard mortar teams in the background, and Conscripts bubble wrapping them so the Death Company can't kill their entire gun line turn one, and then you've got you know a linebacker like Gilliman or Celestine to take care of the Death Company and help out. It's just it's it's a it's a good it's not a bad list it's just an interesting list from a competitive eighth edition standpoint because it doesn't it's very much an elite army and it doesn't do a lot to control the board it really doesn't so anyways tim all that criticism side that that's just gives more power to you good job buddy you you won with blood angels and you won with a really interesting list and then finally russell tanner last 4 and one player he won with alpha legion the pretty much usual suspects chaos space marine alpha legion list he had uh chaos lord and jump pack so a lot of cultists a lot of berserkers some havocs with with missile launchers and stuff missile launchers last cannons heavy bolters a dark Apostle, another sorcerer more cultists more berserkers and three malefic lords so pretty pretty standard the havocs are kind of interesting i, I do agree with using some sort of long range shooting whether whether it's obliterators or, or noise marines with the the crazy gun uh, I call it the crazy gun I know what it's actually called there's they have the the sonic gun which is the smaller crazy gun and then they have the big crazy gun but anyways I I think it's important if you're running chaos space marine alpha legions you know noise marines w- chaos soup whatever you whatever I think it's it's good to have a lot of that those uh high power long range shots uh, just to be able to Hurt some things in your opponent's backfield because a lot of the time with your chaos list you you do have ability to clear bubble wrap, but you do end up you do end up having to deal with certain units that you just can't reach with your with your army, right? Because you're mostly close combat focused, and if, it, whether it's like a whirlwind or or a dreadnought or whatever, right? Uh, Storm Raven. So it's it's always good to have that long range shooting. I think Obliterators are probably a little bit better at it. Because they have a with the changeling, they can have a minus two to hit, which is really cool. And they can also drop down, which ensures that they get at least one turn of shooting and get line of sight and get in the prime position. And they can also threaten something because they are big bodies too. They're they're hard to kill, so they can charge like a unit of scouts, no problem, and deal with them or at least survive or whatever. So, but he went with Havocs. Havocs are a little cheaper, so there you go. All right, Russ, good job, buddy. That that was your top four. Those were. All three players all had one loss or zero losses in Nick Winker's case. Moving on to the Endurance GT. This one was won by Mr. John Marshall with a Chaos Soup list. And there, here's the theme that I mentioned previously. This Chaos list had Magnus the Red, Malefic Lords, Mortarian, and I can't actually read the rest of his list. Uh... Because he only another Malefic Lord. He had a bunch of Malefic Lords in Magnus the Red and Mortarion. Unfortunately, he used uh, Battlescribe, which uh, there's not the, nothing wrong with Battlescribe personally as a program, but it, it can be very difficult to read when you're uploading six or eight pages to Best Coast pairings. It can be very confusing. battlescribe also has a condensing format where you can just condense it down to just a list. I would also suggest you know, do it using Battlescribe to you know make sure your list is legal or or as a master copy for yourself to remember your rules or to show your or whatever right but bring like a notepad copy or something easy to read for your opponent or or for the best ghost pairing app it's just it's just a lot easier it's more courteous this is just confusing reading reading john marshall's list is very confusing but i got the gist of it i saw magnus i saw mortarian i saw two at least two malefic lords so there you go. He also won all of his games uh, max points. So he got complete maximum points for the whole event, 5-0. and 0. Uh, John, congratulations. You, you, The Bash brothers are definitely here to stay when, in Magnus and Morty. And uh, that's pretty much it. Second place went to Jamie Grigsby with Officio Sassanorum. I haven't seen his list yet, but I'm going to predict that it's a character spam list. and And that's it. And Let's see. Well, obviously, it's going to be Assassin. Or it's obviously, it's an Assassin list, so it's definitely going to be character spam. Uh, and Also, Officio Assassinorum, if, if you're listed as that, it's actually an illegal faction because you can't have a de- an Officio Assassinorum detachment that's the majority of point your points in your army unless you have three auxiliary support detachments, but then you're only bringing at most like a 200-point army, you know, 250-point army. So anyways, just just heads up. So You're actually Imperium, Jamie, not Officio Assassinorum, but moving on, we have two Eversor Assassins, four Eversor Assassins, six Eversor Assassins, uh, with no HQ choice that I saw in the Vanguard Detachment they're in. That's kind of interesting. So there's six Eversor Assassins in a Vanguard Detachment. He doesn't have his HQ listed. Uh, He has two Space Wolves in that Detachment as well. Just uh two cyberwolves, just just for kicks and sh- shits and giggles. Oh, and a company commander. So he has it actually reversed. Okay, so he has a company commander, two cyberwolves, and six Eversaurs and one detachment, and then he's got a heavy support detachment, or he's got two heavy support saber weapons, batteries, in there with with uh with artilleries. So there you go. Uh, and then two more everisor assassins in a separate detachment, two, four, five more everisors. So he okay. So this this would be a lot easier if this wasn't Battlescribe. Just a heads up. So he has looking through it all. He has uh, eleven Eversor assassins, some saber weapon heavy platforms, company commanders and Cyberwolves, and that's his list. I, and I imagine the Cyberwolves are just cheap choices, cheap drops, so that he can put all of his Eversor assassins in reserve. So that's a really interesting list. Uh, it, it's definitely a twist on the character spam lists, uh, specifically the one that that went best overall at WarGamesCon, which is, is kind of the, the main one right now, which is kind of the big one because it, it did perform so well, but it, Jamie brought an interesting version of the character spam. He didn't bring Celestine, he didn't bring Gilliman, he, he didn't bring Clexus Assassins, which I think is really interesting, but obviously it worked for him. He only lost one game, and the rest of his games he won with maximum points. Which is cool, so I imagine I would really like to pick his brain. His also strength of schedule was high. It was it was eighteen thousand points, which means his opponents had eighteen wins between them out of a a possible twenty five because he played five opponents. So his opponents had eighteen out of twenty five wins, or had or had a combined eighteen and seven overall record. That's crazy. Uh, so. Kudos to Jamie for doing so well against you know the best players in the list in the in the tournament. And just to give you an idea, John Marshall, the guy who won five and zero, his his opponents had a twelve and thirteen overall combined record because he had twelve thousand points. So that they didn't even have an above and a 50-50. And I don't want to take that anything away from John Marshall because he obviously beat all of his opponents. And I imagine JB probably lost to John Marshall in the finals. I don't I don't know. I I can't pull it up here on this browser, but but I imagine something like that happened. Anyways, so th- those are your two top lists for the Endurance GT. The other two lists, tied for third, both had two draws, so they were technically undefeated. They were Katachan Jungle Fighter, so Guard and Death Guard were the other two factions. So once again, Chaos uh, chaos Soup and Imperium Soup win the day one, uh, at another tournament. Next we have the Crucible 40k GT, uh, an old old classic GT. It's been around for a while. They, I think they're on year 7 this is, this is Crucible 6.5, so maybe this is year 6.5 for them. Anyways, uh, we had John Lennon come back and win it all. John, congratulations, he won with Astra Militarum. He got a win for his team Brohammer. Okay, John Lennon had had an Imperial Soup army with three primary psychers, an Astropath, a Colexus Assassin, some heavy weapons teams, all in a supreme command detachment, which doesn't make any sense at all. I probably read that wrong. So you had he had a supreme command detachment with three primary psychers, an astropath, and a Clexus assassin. That's not right at all. Anyways, so he had. We'll we'll, we'll go ahead and read out his list, and then uh, I'll make uh, I'll see what his uh, his detachments were all about. So he had the supreme command detachment. So he had three psychers, an astropath, a collectus assassin, heavy weapons teams. Two Elysian Company Commanders, four Elysian Command Squads, an Officer of the Fleet, a uh, Celestine, and then uh, a Company Commander, three units of conscripts, two, two Rattlings, Sergeant Harker, an Earthshaker Battery platform with uh, he- another Heavy Weapons Mortar Team, a Mana core, two Torox Primes, and a Death Corps of the Krieg, three Torox Primes and a Death Corps of the Krieg Commissar. That's that list is kind of all over the place in terms of list building. So guys, it's just just once again, uh, it not just not just for my benefit, but for your opponents' benefits too. Try try and make your list a little more legible. If you guys want maybe a good example of lists, uh, I would maybe go on Best Coast Pairings and look at other people's lists. If you subscribe, you can look at lists from people from other events, anyways. So it's it's actually really cool. It's a it's a really good resource for for those of you who want to up your game, but. If you guys can make your lists more legible or or cleaner, that'd be nice. Uh, This one is this is the battle scribe, the cleaned up battle scribe version without the rules, and that's better. But you know, there's a lot of plus signs. The supreme command detachment. So you don't you can't always tell what's in a detachment. So in this case, the difference between one supreme the the units between a supreme command detachment and the vanguard detachment, technically make it illegal. And there's also there's there's Supreme Command Detachment listed three times on the list, but there's also Clear Vanguard Detachment, and then he also has Brigade Detachment written in here too, uh, or Battalion Detachment, I'm sorry, but he's only got one HQ in that Battalion Detachment, you need two, uh, but I think he has the HQs for it, it's just, uh, they're listed all, they may be listed somewhere else, uh, it technically looks like a legal list, but the way the format is laid out, it, it's, n- it's not, right, just because of how weird it is, so so, John, I, I'm I'm calling you out, buddy, uh, and I'm calling everyone out who does this. Just, just try and make your list a little more legible. It's it's if if people expect players to to paint to a standard, and if you if you expect a certain you you know level of quality from an event from your opponent, you know it, it don't just don't just push it towards the hobby habit aspect. Push it towards the competitive and tournament aspect too, right? So I would expect my opponents to to have a presentable army right like no lego man proxies just a a presentable army and also have their rules and have a legible army list you know and and a legal army list and and dice and and you know tape measure everything they need to play so that we can have the you know get to the game and have as much fun as possible so anyways that's sorry sorry about that this this is uh this is actually the third time so far but uh in, in this podcast and just in general i see it a lot you know, I wish we had kind of a simplified list, standard app, uh, something maybe GW could do or, or anyone that that just broke it down easy, ma- you know, made it perfectly fine to, to read on any, you know, in any platform, best-coast pairings or, or printed on paper or, you know, online or whatever. Anyways, uh, John Lennon, kudos to you, buddy. You still won with Guard. You still did really well. He won with an Imperial Soup. Kind of guard with with Celestine and I guess, I guess Astropaths are technically guard and Primary Psychers are technically guard, uh, but it, it was basically like a guard soup, something very similar to what people like Ganyo run and Brandon Grant. So kind of kind of a what the typical flavor of the month is. And this was actually before the Guard Codex came out, so I imagine John's gonna change up his list a lot when he gets his hands on the Guard Codex and when he has time to think and process and you know take advantage of some of the powerful combinations in that li- book. But kudos to John. Second place went to Mark Wilkins with another Officio Assassinorum faction listing, which means he had Imperium faction. And I I hopefully... I don't see 11. So this guy actually... So Mark actually brought the, the War Games Con kind of style of uh, Officio Assassinorum with his own twist. So he brought Bjorn the Fell-Handed and a Grandmaster and an Dread Knight instead of Drago, Celestine, and Gilliman. But he did have the... Five Calexis assassins, four Calexis assassins, a calidus assassin, and five Eversor assassins, six Eversor assassins, uh, with, with Inquisitor Greyfax, which is interesting. Uh, Celestine, he did bring Celestine after all, and then five Primaris psychers and a forty-four blob of conscripts, and a commissar. Yeah, so he 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 went. He did decided to go with the character spam assassin route, uh, but he decided to go with uh, a little bit more of a board presence in the back which I, I agree with. I think that's probably the better call. The one thing I didn't like about the list that w- that p- took Bester overall at WarGamesCon was it didn't really look like it had a backfield presence. You know, it kind of just had Drago, Celestine, and Gilman making their presence known wherever, and then the assassins kind of darting all over the place. Although you could make the argument that an assassin in your backfield is a, is a large presence, depending on the assassin, especially if it's something like a Colexis assassin that requires a lot of resources to kill. But, you know, you could just easily put something like a Grey Knight Strike Squad in there, and they can deal with the Assassin pr- pretty well. They could, they have a good chance of dealing with the Assassin. And also, he, he had, a, I think, a Dominion Squad and a, a Repressor, which, which is, with an Assassin, probably a little bit better for holding a single objective. But especially now with the new ITC missions, th- that's not going to fly. So anyways, Mark brought a, another interesting assassin list. I like Bjorn the fell-handed. He, he's, he's an amazing he's still a character with less than nine with less than 10 wounds, which is really cool. He's also a beat stick. and I think he has some interesting special rules like what that to do with warlords or whatever. anyways, uh, Mark, kudos to you. And we had David Ozawa who went third place, who was five zero and one as well as Mark. and he brought an imperial souplist. He was from Brohammer. And he brought a uh, brother captain, a. Uh, so he had a brigade detachment, so a large Grey Knights brigade det- or Imperium de- uh, Grey Knights detachment. He had uh, one, two, three strike squads and a brother captain. And then, sorry guys, forgive me, he had a 10 Prime with three Military Tempestus Scion troop squads. His heavy supports were mortar teams, heavy weapon mortar teams. His fast attacks were Cyber Wolves and his elites were acolytes from the Inquisition Codex and then he had Celestine in there as well for his 3rd HQ choice and a grand a separate battalion detachment with a grandmaster a nemesis dread knight drago and three strike squads with silencers. So he he had a primary majority Grey knights army but uh, an imperial soup army. Uh, th- this is a an interesting one. It's it's going very Grey knight heavy so it has more of an elite feel than some of the other imperial soup lists. Uh, like for example tyler Devries, he still brought the mortar teams and the cyberwolves and the tempest tempesta scion squad so it's very similar to a list like Ty- tyler Devries's imperial soup list which, which did have the gray knights with the with the 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 um the guy dropping down the the gray knight warlord in terminator armor to give them all re-roll re-rolling their assault charges uh and then he did also bring celestine like like tyler but unlike tyler he he has a lot less bodies and a little he has more gray knights and tyler does bring a lot of gray knights i think he has i think he has n- six actually i think they have the same amount of gray knights uh tyler just brings the silencers on his on of uh, on his heavy weapon gray knight team and david did not david also brought the acolytes i don't see an assassins anywhere which is kind of an interesting choice as well so it, it's definitely it relies heavily on on what granites can and can't kill. And I don't see anything to be able to deal with, with heavy armor, which maybe isn't a bad thing, but I imagine a bunch of conscripts backed by some Lehman Russes and some Toroxes will probably really give David a lot of trouble. But maybe not. He, he'd probably at that point have to start scoring out like crazy. right? And then he can do that a little because he has so many bodies. But it's just it's an interesting choice in the list cause it's a list because it's more of an elite list than uh, than a, a cover-the-board and win list because Grey Knights. I've after playing Grey Knights, I found that one Grey Knight squad isn't enough to deal with things that you need it to. Uh, usually, they, they need to be paired together or or in one giant Grey Knight horde that you deep strike anywhere on the board. That's where I think their most effective way to fire. They they play kind of like a you know a horde army in that sense, but they're still very much an elite army because they are very expensive. Because if if your Grey Knights die easily, the turn after they come down, you're in a lot of trouble. So you need to put them in positions to succeed and survive for the future. So that's David's list. He went five, zero, and one as as or four zero and one, sorry, in a five round event, and as did Mark Wilkins with the Assassin's Orm list, and then John Lennon. So we have three Imperial Soup lists essentially. Uh John Lennon's was an Astro Militarum list, but you would argue that, that it was kind of like a, a Imperial Soup light, you know, of, but it was an Astro Militarum list an Imperium list. And Moving on to the Battle for Salvation. This is the one I really wanted to talk about. It, it, w- it was the largest out of all the events that have happened in the last two weeks or the last week. And it had 72 players at the end with one true undefeated player, Carlos Kaiser beating Nick Nonavati in the finals, uh, w- which is kudos to Carlos Kaiser. Carlos is a, a friend of mine. He's He always runs these really interesting lists. So kind of that's kind of... You know, interested when I saw that he ran Alpha Legion instead of his normal, you know, Renegade or Guard or ah, uh, he's he's ran some really interesting lists. He I think he ran Renegades and Tau, the last the last time in seventh edition, and then before that, um, I think he brought Chaos to Nova, but I think he was talking about maybe bringing Grey Knights. So he Carlos usually Carlos is an interesting guy. He likes he's a really he's a phenomenal player, and he. He usually likes to bring these unique lists, and he likes, you know, they're still really powerful lists. They they kind of like remind me of uh, my warp warp company list, my thirty warp spiders and battle company list back in seventh edition, where it was still it had it was still list with very obvious competitive elements, but no one else was running a list like it. So he he was doing things similar to that. He was, you know, finding these interesting competitive combinations and doing well with them. So. Carlos kudos for winning such a large event, especially for beating Nick Navati in the top table that that's that's huge that's a big deal obviously Nick's a phenomenal player and uh you you won a large event and you won it with with a lot of points you didn't you you know your first your first two games were you scored fifteen points and fourteen points but after that you scored max battle points for the rest of your four games in a six round event so that's that's a big deal that's huge anyways going on to Carlos's list he brought uh a picture of a list. So this is actually a little simpler, a little easier. Just have to zoom in real quick. He had a Chaos Lord, a Chaos Sorcerer, some a lot of Cultists, some Obliterators, a Chaos Fire Raptor, which uh, with, with a Death a Death Guard Chaos Fire Raptor, a Typhus, a Demon Prince, a bunch of Pox Walkers, or two units of Pox one unit of 19, one needed of 15, 10 Chaos Cultists, and Magnus the Red. So that's that's actually a really generic not carlos Kai- not carlos kaiser list uh, the death the chaos fire raptor maybe because you don't see that a whole lot but it's such a it's such a good model and i i see it often enough to, s- to say you know y- you probably have to watch out for it and prepare for it but anyways carlos so carlos brought a chaos soup you know heavy infantry list backed with magnus thread and chaos fire raptor the fire raptor combined with magnus the red can reach out and kill anything and the fire raptors is reasonably hard to kill he didn't bring the changeling so his magnus is also a little easier to kill but if you if, if you play this list correctly if you play it so that your your obliterators come down kill the thing they're supposed to uh you play really really conservative with magnus the red and the fire raptor and you kind of just pick off units you can overwhelm your opponent turn three turn four and just flat out win the game Uh, I'd I'd like to know how Carlos played his list. Uh, Maybe I'll try and bring him on to a podcast in the future. But essentially, a list like this is is deceptively dangerous, right? Because you would think, you know, it, it is Alpha Legion, so those cultists can get in your face, and he does have a 28 cultist unit. Which is which is a big cultist bomb unit that he can move up into your face and kill like a conscript squad or, or something squad that you need you know just with heavy weight of fire it could be anything it could be a granite squad it could be a uh, devastator squad you know they can threaten to tie up a predator that you might need and uh, essentially it's a very mobile lethal list and and it's not going to table you but it is going to take over the board. And you are going to lose the important things that you need to lose. And he has the tools to kill everything he needs to be able to kill. So if he needs to shoot you off an objective, Magnus or the Fire Raptor can do it easily. Or maybe the Obliterators. Or whatever, right? And then it's also very hard to kill back. So everything is naturally either has... they their Legion, so they have that natural minus one with that Fire Raptor. Or they are uh, they're Magnus the Red, which is the only other thing. And uh, they they're just really hard to... They're just really hard to kill, you know. Magnus is just really hard to kill. So, kudos to Carlos. It looks like a really nasty list. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed though, buddy. I was hoping you'd come up with something different, and unique. But obviously, uh, you, you know, Carlos is a competitor. He's here to win, and this is the cha- the list that gave him the best chance to win the event. So, not gonna not gonna rag on you too much. Second place is Kurt Claus with Ultramarines Primary. Good job, Kurt. Hopefully, brought my boy Gilliman. Uh, he had it's actually one page. He did bring Gilliman. Said Gilliman, Saint Celestine, uh, seven scouts with the sniper rifles, two Collexis assassins, and an astropath in a vanguard detachment, and then a flyer detachment with four storm ravens. That was it. So he he decided he decided to go the flyer heavy route with the four storm ravens, and that's that's okay. That's a that's a really really interesting list choice right now, especially because there's a lot of there's a, a shift. I don't know if, I don't know if this is an East coast versus West coast thing, but on the West coast, there's a shift towards large horde armies and and board control and being able to grind out your opponent and have lots of bodies at the end of the game, which I think actually beats a list like this. I know Kurt would probably say like, he's got hurricane bolters and assault cannons and Gilliman and St. Celestine. So he can deal with hordes really well. Yeah, that's true that, you know, it's, it's, because the storm ravens naturally do deal with hordes really well, but even even with all those hurricane bolter shots, when you start stacking like minus one alpha legion cultists, you know, or or as I've seen, I've seen like orcs, right, with the with the stacking, the feel no pain with the the pain boy and the banner and the regular saves. It's just the stacking save saves on top of hordes, making hordes more durable. It's just it's just that it makes them a lot harder to kill, and, and especially with a flyer list like this, when you have a huge board presence army like that, you, you, you're you either going to have, there's either going to be two things that are going to happen. You're either going to want to stay close because you don't have a lot of places to move, so you're going to want to stay close to Gilliman for those buffs, but they're not going to present to you a lot of quality opportunities and targets for you to shoot and kill, or you're going to leave those those units, right? You're going to leave Gilliman, your buffs, and your Storm ravens are going to fly around kill the things you need them to, but they're going to be broken apart and the way the board presence army works is you're not going to be able to have two storm ravens hopefully if everything goes right you're trying to position the storm raven so that they're not able to shoot and concentrate all their firepower at one particular target that you want so they'll be able to concentrate their firepower on on certain targets but maybe not that one key critical target and what that means is when you have like an alpha legion cultist squad or or uh you know, conscripts with with a plus one to their save from the guard codex or, or whatever, right? You you end up stacking these defensive buffs that make them surprisingly durable and surprisingly hard to kill for something like a storm raven, right? And if you're already leaving that Gilliman bubble, it's even harder because you're not getting your rerolls. So it, it's just, it's really interesting. Uh, but on the East Coast, I don't see, I haven't seen a lot of, of really hordy lists like that. Uh, I've seen a, a lot more, you know, not generic, but a lot more, uh, you know, just bring the toughest unit, bring the best unit, you know, math hammer points, et cetera, et cetera, you know, kill your opponent. It's it's just an interesting, I can't really describe it, but it's definitely an interesting feel. because I haven't, I, obviously the top three, top five players didn't have hordes, right? We had Tau, Nick Notavadis, Corn Demonkin, which which I'm going to get to. I haven't actually seen that list yet, but I don't think Nick Notavadis runs Horde board presence lists, but I might be wrong. Uh, Sean Naden ran Inari, so that's definitely not a Horde list. And then, obviously, Carlos and Kurt. Uh, Carlos ran a board presence list with the with the conscripts and etc. Uh, but Carlos is also a West Coast guy, so, you know, there you, there you go. Boom. Anyways, so, four Storm Ravens, kudos to Kurt. Kurt ended up only losing once with four Storm Ravens. So Storm Ravens are definitely still in the meta. If you think Flyers are dead or GW killed Flyers, you are very incorrect. Uh, They just made those lists a lot more manageable and not auto-takes. But they're still in the hands of a really good player, very deadly. Moving on to Sean Naden with Inari. It's nice to see Sean go with the Inari, and I'm interested to see what he came up with. He brought the Incarn, uh, Spirit Seer, Warriors, Harlequins, Warriors, for some cheap troop choices, and it looks like a battalion detachment. A and actually, the, I think this is going to be a brigade detachment because he's got three elites, three fast attacks. No, it's just a battalion. Okay, so he's got two Urgles and elite choices, probably for some drops. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I uh, that's the beautiful thing about reading some of Sean Nane's lists. Just, just you kind of look at it and you go like, why, why did he take this? What is he trying to do? And so now I have to go into the Xenos book as soon as I get my hands on it in the office, and then I have to read all, what all these units do and see what he's trying to do. We brought a Solitaire and two Urgles with the three troop choices and a Battalion Detachment and a Spirit Seer and the Incarn. And then another detachment with the Beastmaster, Razor Wing Phlox, a Chimera, Chimera, uh, who, get, who comes from a free slot from the Beastmaster, and then an Outrider Detachment with Ivrain, Mog and Ra, a here wraith blade and an autark on a bike so i have no idea what any of this does i play eldar kind of i don't play eldar i played against eldar kind of uh but it sounds like it's just a really mobile list he didn't bring kind of the usual suspects he, he didn't bring I, I might be missing something in his list because it seems like it's not like what i read isn't exactly 2000 points so i feel like i might be missing something but i also might be wrong a lot of really cheap things but uh essentially he didn't bring the eldar usual suspects he, he didn't bring wave serpents he didn't bring wraith guard he didn't bring he brought iv rain or and the incarn uh he he didn't bring the shadow specters he didn't bring the crimson hunter or the warp the hemlock wraith fighter uh so it's an interesting list he actually he didn't even bring like the harlequin good stuff either right just the solitaire he didn't bring like the star weavers and the he brought one troop so uh I really, Sean. If you if you want to message me, man, I I have no idea what your list does. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me that you went five five and one with it with it. And I'm sure I'm missing something completely. Or it didn't look quite like 2,000 points. So maybe there's some other stuff in there that I don't know. Uh, anyways, moving on to Nick Navadi, Nick who lost to Carlos on the top table with his Corn Demonkin list. Let's see if it's actually Corn Demonkin. No, so it's no, it's not. It's a it's a World Eaters Chaos Soup list. But so it's a dark apostle exalted champion with probably the murder sword as as, as nick knows the murder sword is, am- is amazing especially at killing gillman uh two corn berserkers one unit one cultist large cultist unit so two eight-man berserker squads 136 cultist unit two eight-man warp talent squads nice that he's keeping with the corn theme there i like it uh two reddit two rhinos aramon a sorcerer with a jump pack a un- another unit of 10 cultists, 10 brimstones, three nurglings and mortarian. So this is a very similar list to the one he brought to Nova and the one he played at the invitational. He he took out the obliterators, he he doubled down on the warp talons, made them squads of 8, which is funny and cute, and uh essentially he he's running kind of kind of the similar style list to what he ran at Nova and it was it was kind of like a a good stuff list. He took out the noise marines. Um I'm not sure why, maybe maybe because he felt like World Eaters, Noise Marines. I don't, I don't actually think they can be World Eaters, Noise Marines. So I don't, I can you, I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that you probably can't make Noise Marines, World Eaters. I know I'm not a Chaos player, guys. I apologize. But essentially it, it's a list that, that can do multiple things for him. You know, it can, it can put pressure with Morty and the Berserkers and the 40-man Chaos Cultist squad. It can put pressure with those squads. Uh, the Cultists, obviously, they don't have the Alpha Lineage ability, so they can't, you know, teleport up, it, it, you know, with the stratagem. They can't appear from a sport edge and replenish themselves. But they still are, with an advanced move, they still are really fast. And you can essentially take over the middle of the board, and then as Nick this is exactly what Nick did to beat me. He took over the middle of the board and then waited for that back crushing turn three, cleared my bubble wrap, set up, you know, a magnificent amount of charges with warp Talons and Berserkers and just wiped me out, right? So that that's kind of just what he did. He played Nutrition for three turns and then at the end of the third turn, just charged everything and nearly tabled me. And that was that. So that's exactly what this list does. It takes over the middle of the board. It, he probably sits on the warp talons for a while. Doesn't you know? He doesn't need to charge them early on. He's got the bodies to be able to score, and you know he doesn't need to rely on the warp talons until he absolutely needs them. And then uh, all at once, even if you kill Mortarian, all at once the list can just break your back uh, off of some heavy charges and some Nick Nanavati-esque movements and luck. Well, you know, of course, because because Nick the the Nick Notavati luck is real. He's a phenomenal player, but he's also a very lucky player. So it's it's a great combination, um, and why he's done so well. But anyways, so so it it's a very it's a very good list, and I would have loved to have seen Carlos and Nick play each other in the finals. I think Carlos's list definitely has the tools to beat this list. You know, Carlos's list does have it can take a punch and the chaos fire raptor probably did a lot of work uh, especially if it avoided mortarian because i think mortarian is the only way and the warp talons too the warp talons can take out the fire raptor as well but that's asking a lot of warp talons So I, I know they can i know they can attack twice and you know they got all those cool chaos buffs with the dark apostle uh, but it's still asking them to take out a fire raptor uh, which could be in a which could put them in a bad situation or could just be hovering in a corner somewhere and impossible to get to and it's also, it's still a vehicle, so it's still toughness 7, uh, so they're still not wounding it optimally. And it still has a decent save, even with the minus 2, it doesn't have a terrible save. So, asking one unit of warp Talents to take out the Fire Raptor is is probably a tall order, especially in one turn. Uh, but, anyways, I, I would have loved to have seen that game. It probably it was probably a very, very interesting game. And that's it. That's it for the Battle for Salvation Grand Tournament. Uh, obviously... Uh, with the exception of very very few lists, there were there were primarily Imperium faction lists and primary Chaos lists, and that's kind of the the big flavor of the month that's defining Eighth Edition up to this point. After the Codex has been released, is uh, there's you know with the Death Guard Codex, with the Chaos Space Marine Codex, the Space Marine Codex, and the Grey Knight Codex, and now the Guard Codex, on top of the overpowered stuff in the index, like specifically not overpowered, but well St. Celestine's overpowered, but but the powerful stuff in the index like Brimstones and Celestine and the Changeling and Magnus the Red, who's still technically an index unit, you have a lot of you have a lot of picking and choosing from the index combined with powerful rules from the codexes. And the two factions that do that the best right now are obviously the ones with the most codexes in guard in uh Chaos and Imperium, the, the Imperial Guard Codex is just going to further, you know, increase this dynamic. Your Guard players are going to get a little bit of a boost. So right now, you you know, I think there was Carlos, there was, there was Carlos, there was John Marshall, and Nick Winker, all won with Chaos lists. And then there was John Lennon, who won with the Guard list. So you had three out of the four l- tournaments I mentioned, which were all large GTs. You know, the battle for salvation was a major with 72 players, so that was the bigger event, and uh, obviously th- there was a lot more variety in, in that top eight. Just just because a larger event, you'll have a little more variety. But essentially, uh, you have three out of the four winning players were running chaos of some kind, and with the exception of Carlos Kaiser's list, which wasn't very soupy, but it was still pretty soupy. They were all variations and different flavors of Chaos Soup. And then the guard list was, was very much a guard list with taking Imperium good stuff, specifically St. Celestine and the Scions, even though Scions are guard. But it, it, it's essentially, it's, it's a take whatever you can in those two super factions, Imperium or Chaos right now. And that's the meta. And that's the way it's going to be, I think, until a good Xenos Codex is released unfortunately uh so we have the eldar codex coming up and the tyranid codex coming up I, I don't know obviously i don't know what's in either of those codexes but i i can i can pretty much guarantee that both of those factions are, are going to get a much needed boost uh you know with the especially with the craft world eldar so those i think arguably are the worst of the eldar index factions uh dark eldar are a hard second to harlequins Actually, a hard third to Harlequins and Inari are clearly the best. And I don't know what they're going to do with Inari versus Craftworld Eldar. Are they going to include the Inari in the codex? Are they going to get their own codex? I don't know. But the Craftworld Eldar by themselves are are not the best. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what people come up with. Uh, You know, will they... Build Craftworld Eldar detachments combined with Inari detachments, and take kind of the most powerful combinations of each. Or are they going to go straight Craftworld Eldar? Or are they just going to ignore that and take a few things from Craftworld Eldar and go Inari? It'll, it'll be very interesting. It'll be inter- interesting to see what GW does with the Eldar Codex. I think that has the most potential because, unlike the Tyranid faction with Gene Celer cult, uh, you, you don't you actually do see Eldar in the top eights. It, it's very rare but you will see Eldar players sneak into top 8s with one loss or, or two only two losses and do really well and they will u- upset players. The Eldar codex is is not not a gatekeeper. It's more of like a like a submarining army that has the potential to do well, doesn't quite have the potential to win, but isn't also common enough to be considered a gatekeeper army. So, Eldar are going to be very interesting. I can't wait for that codex to come out. And then Tyranids I, I feel like Gene Sealer Colt lists are 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 basically almost there, right? So Gene Sealer Cult lists, uh Michael Snyder, our our team member of mine in Relentless D, he runs a Gene Seer Cult list with Tyranids and Guard allies. He basically brings the best guard to have to offer and brings some good some good Tyranid stuff and then Gene Sailor Cult stuff to make his list a gene search cult list. And he, it's a very he has very very powerful lists, but he does have to rely heavily. I feel on the Militarum side and Gene stealers themselves. So, you know, the Tyranid Codex will hopefully bring more cool things and give Mike more options. And he's already bringing kind of a a three detachment three faction list. So the Tyranid part of his army will be even better and we'll give him more options. So that'll be cool. So basically what I was trying to go with that is that there are a few really competitive, really good Genes that cult lists and tiered lists out there, and that codex is just going to bring those lists and make them better. So hopefully that'll that'll combat the, the soup, the Chaos and Imperium soup that's kind of common in the meta right now. And as for the SoCal Open, I obviously I think either a chaos player or an Imperial an Imperium player are going to win the whole event. Uh my votes are actually on Brandon Grant and James Carmona specifically. I, I feel I feel like and I know James James is a confident guy, so I know James probably won't agree with this, but I feel like that matchup will actually be closer than than expected. You know, it'll basically it'll come down to the best chaos. The best the Chaos faction can offer in James's list, and I think James, after looking at all these lists, I think that James's list probably is the best Chaos list that I've seen. Period. Uh, James just hasn't been traveling to a lot of events this year, but he's a he's a really great player, uh, and and James James's list is insane. It's it's just currently kicking everyone's butt. It's it's just on paper and also in theory, and combined with the ITC missions. The new ITC missions, especially, it's just it's a very powerful list, and I'm not gonna ruin it all for you guys next week. You're just gonna have to, you know, wait for me to cover it. If he does really badly, I'll talk about it anyways, cause it's a really interesting list. But I doubt it. I think he's gonna do extremely well. Every tournament he has gone to, every local event, every person he's played, he's won. I think the record for the list is like one loss and, and a billion wins or whatever. It's it's a really powerful list. And then on the flip side, you have Brandon Grant, uh, who not only has a fresh off the press amazing codex that just came out in the guard codex but brandon grant's also a phenomenal player you know he did win the BAO. he just won a small little tiny event uh this weekend this past weekend and it, it was only eleven players or twelve players but three of those players were r- really good players uh, and and then th- there was also brandon grant and he played of course he played all the good players because it was a small event so all the good players won so he obviously had to play people who were winning and max scoring so uh, Brandon's Brandon's right now. He's been changing his list a lot, uh, but I think I think he's going to settle on something really good, and it'll just be very interesting. So I think I think you'll see. I think those two players are my favorites for each faction. They're kind of, in my opinion, the champions for their factions. But obviously, someone like Paul McKelvey could swoop in and steal the whole thing with his Tau right, obviously, or or Michael Snyder with his Gene Slayer Colts It's another good player, or any of the Rage Quit Table Flip guys, Uh, Doug Johnson, Ryan Mead, Ryan Mead has a really good list, he's running basically the Mortarian Magnus and Renegade Knight Bash Brothers list with, with, uh, I think, a Nurgling contingent, Nurglings and Nurgles instead of Brimstone Horrors, but it's essentially the same style of list, and... There, there's going to be a lot of interesting lists. There's a lot of really good players out here in Southern California. There's obviously there's the Game Empire Pasadena guys. There's San Diego, our own local meta. I will be playing in it. I, I don't know if actually I, I don't know if I'm going to be playing it or not. But I'm not a good player anyways, so I wouldn't pick me to win at all. I might make like the top twenty-five, the top ten percent or something. But I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna win the whole thing. But if I do end up playing it, I'll, I'll be running an Imperial Soup list, uh, a variant on the list I've been running. actually I did take Gilliman out. Uh, I've been flirting with the idea for a long time, but I just, I felt like the style of list I was running didn't fit him because he was so many points. And so unfortunately I did take Gilliman out. So if I do run, if I do end up playing in the SoCal Open, I'm, I'm not going to be running him, um, which I'm sad about. But you know it happens. I'd rather I'd rather play this new list that I have. That's uh, looks looks really good. Looks really solid. But it, it'll be very interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good chaos players down here, and I do traditionally see more guard players on the west coast than I do on the east coast. And I don't know who from the east coast is going to fly down to the west coast for the SoCal Open. So it'll it'll be very interesting. Uh, a lot of players for the SoCal Open have you know tend to a lot of players in general tend to not pre-sign up for events and they instead they sign up for events the day of when they show up you know when they fly in from the airplane or whatever so sign up at signups i'll have a, a obviously a much clearer example or a clearer idea of who is going to win but unfortunately i don't know now so my bets are on uh, chaos versus imperium showdown who's going to be the best on the top table and, I, you know, my favorites are probably James Carmona and Brandon Grant. I think in the area, those are the two hottest players right now that I can think of, just in the Southern California area uh, in the West. Actually, I think on the West Coast. I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head on the West Coast right now that's as hot as those two guys in in my experience. Just give me a second. No, no, there's the, obviously there's Midwest guys. Uh, Matt Root's doing really well. Obviously, Neknavati is hot right now Sean Naden. All the, all the usual suspects Ganyo has haven't seen really a lot from Ganyo lately since his, his double nova win but yeah so so that's that's just my personal opinion it's definitely going to be chaos and imperium you, you know heavily heavily represented it, unfortunately but you're that's just the way it is right now until all the codexes come out uh this just the with the release schedule GW has done that's just the way it's going to be until probably until the LVO the LVO is going to be really interesting cuz we should hopefully have more codexes by then it'll be february so or it'll be actually be late january so at GW's release schedule rate they'll have released you know five or six more codexes and hopefully they're running out of chaos and imperium codexes to release so it should be interesting all right Moving on to the ITC missions, thank you guys very much for sticking with me this far. I know it's it's a little more rambly, it, not having a guest. I know a lot of you guys don't like me having a guest, but thanks for sticking around for me. And if you have tried out the new ITC missions, let us know. You can email me at frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. You can email Reese at contact at frontlinegaming.org. And just let us know what you think about the ITC missions. Obviously, the SoCal Open is only a week away, so we will have probably cutoff date. And we have already also gotten a lot of feedback. But you never know. You know, sometimes, w- sometimes just telling us your feedback, anyways, and then other people are kind of also saying what you're saying as well. That'll that'll help us influence us even more. If a lot of people are saying the same thing, then that that obviously changes what we do right but i would say that there's probably not going to be any major changes to the itc missions so close to the event so close to socal open so uh you know just uh, rest easy in that fact that the missions you're playing now and the strategies i'm going to talk about now are going to stay true for the most part in the socal open so moving on if you haven't seen the new itc missions they are they are very interesting they are very different uh, essentially the point of the new itc mission the design concepts are that uh we we wanted to to make missions that were not randomized so we took away the maelstrom and we also we really didn't like missions like the relic uh and then uh, tertiary swing tertiaries like first strike and first blood and it, it, you know big game hunter things things like that they were they were just they were too swingy and it just always came down to a predictable matchup where either the person who went first just dominated their opponent and got max points or the both players knew one was going to win primary one was going to win secondary and it came down to first strike or big game hunter or something right something unfun the games were being were a little more predictable and that that's kind of just a testament to how eighth edition was designed Right. So 8th edition is a much more mobile edition than previous editions. It's a much more lethal edition, but also it, because there's two, still 2000 points, there's still a lot more un, there's a lot more units on the board in general in 8th edition than there were in 7th edition, even with Battle Company armies, right? So uh, my Battle Company list had 20 something units in 7th edition and I'm running Twenty-three units in Eighth Edition now, so I'm still running the same amount of units with the same amount of bodies. I just have more rules to to focus on with the stratagems, uh, and the game is a little simpler so on the other side. On the flip side, so it's just it's a very mobile edition. A deep strike is not only very reliable, but it's also very accessible to every army. So the ability to deep strike and reserve manipulate and and be very mobile across the board, that's changed, which also increases lethality because if you can put your your units in optimal positions, then you can kill anything and that makes your killing efficiency better, right? So with, with those ideas, uh, we wanted to remove the, uh, we wanted to help the player to going second and I'll explain how the mission designs help the player go second better after all of this. And we also wanted to eliminate random maelstrom and now each, each mission that we designed, kind of, kind of tries to find a balance between different the two essential things that 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 40K are are centered around, which is stand somewhere, kill something. That's it. That's that's essentially what you, what the game is boiled down to in a nutshell. Right. You, everything is about either standing somewhere or killing something. This, that's uh 40K, and it's it's barest bones, uh, in terms of victory and objectives. So we kind of wanted to balance that between that and then also we we wanted something that we wanted more points. Uh you know, R- Reese was talking about how uh more points in uh rounds makes it easier especially for RTTs to have a true winner, right? So if a guy has more points like 20 or more battle points than another guy but they're both 3 and 0, obviously the guy who with 20 more battle points at that point is is in some semblance the better player in that event at, at that time. They might not be the better player, period, but obviously that's that's subjective. But they they clearly won that event if they're twenty points battle twenty battle points more than their opponent. Just just because the 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 nuances of the missions are designed so that y- you you do have to fight for every point, and and earning points isn't always necessarily easy, right? So and that's it. Oh, and there's also random deployments to make the game. M- to give the game more variety i i'm personally a big fan of the random deployments and then each mission is also different not with the format so there's no like relic emperor's will you know uh big game hunter you're always playing the same core game so you're always playing the same with the 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 special bonus of bonus points that you can get those change every game but those are very minor and don't really have an impact so there's no like relic mission where Everyone, where it favors one particular army over another, it the the difference between the missions are where the objectives are placed, and the secondary the uh, the bonus points. So, and I'll explain that when I get when I get into that. So let's go to go ahead and go into the basic format, and then we'll talk about some strategies. So, essentially, you you do your normal thing, you roll off a first turn, blah 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 blah, all that normal stuff, and then you. Start scoring points. So there's the primary, and there's three secondaries that you pick, right? So we'll talk about the primary first. For the primary, there's you score at the end of your player turn, and then you score at the end of the battle round. So, uh, you, there's only a maximum of four points you can score in a turn. So you get two, one point for holding one or more objectives at the end of your player turn, and then one point for destroying one or more enemy units at the end of your player turn, and then for the end of the battle round, which is at the end of both player turns, or at the end of the game turn, you get one point for having more objectives than your opponent, and you have to have more, you can't tie, and then you get one point for destroying more enemy units than your opponent, and same thing, you can't tie, you don't get a point for tying. So the the kind of the idea between this primary is that out of a maximum 24 points, which is uh, four points times six turns, you you want to kind of keep up this running tally. Right. So you always want to be killing something. You always want to be on objectives or near objectives. And you always want to be aware of in this case in the terms of the end of the game scoring, you always want to be aware of how many units your opponent is killed and how many objectives your opponent is could potentially score if if they're going second. Right? So the idea is is there's this kind of this balance, right? So you've got you've got this you always need to kill at least one unit. And you're gonna obviously you're gonna want to kill the units that that hurt you the most. But eventually, as the game progresses, you you know there might be units that that are a lot harder to kill. If there's not a lot of units on the board, you might not be able to kill more units than your opponent, or you might not be able to kill a unit. Period. And you both might have one objective, right? So it'll it'll come down to the end game. At the end of the game, there'll be the points will be a lot harder to score. So you'll have to be more intelligent about the units that you kill. <coughs> Excuse me, I had to cough there. But so, and what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, you you uh, are running a, an alpha strike heavy list where you can kill a lot of units turn one and turn two. You do you you turn one you set up you kill a lot of your opponent's units turn one and turn two. Uh, your opponent does manage to hold on. Let's say they go second, right? So they do manage to kill units of yours because they can. So they, they will be scoring one point for y- holding units. You both should be scoring a point for holding an objective if your opponent's objective placement or a deployment was sound. And so you're already getting one point up on destroying more units than your opponent eventually what's going to happen is if you kill too many units your opponent is going to start hiding units and preventing you from being able to kill their units and then they will only have to kill one or two of your units to destroy more enemy units than you and then you guys are going to end up having to fight for objectives and your opponent's units are going to get more valuable as the game goes on because your primary this is only concerning primary missions we're not talking about secondary missions yet which are different uh, but your your opponent's units are going to be more valuable as the game progresses. Is if you can't score points consistently throughout the whole game, and your opponent you know plays really conservatively and plays really cagey with their units, you can they, they can turn on you. They can they can start especially if they have, if they go second, they can start scoring more and more points and keep that primary close, uh, which will lead it to more of a secondary matchup, which is um, obviously favorable to the player who picked more intelligently. Right. So moving on to the secondary missions, the first one is Headhunter. Uh, You can only score a maximum of 4 points for each of these, and you pick 3 of them, so a maximum of 12 points. So for those of you who are counting, the the current maximum is 36 points for a mission. You get 24 points for the 6 turns for the primary mission, so you get a maximum of 24 from that. And then you get a maximum of 12 from the secondary missions. So the first one is Headhunter. You get 1 point for destroying an enemy character. uh, And I'm going to take a little bit of credit here this, this one was, was, uh, an idea of mine. Um, so, uh, obviously, obviously it, it didn't, obviously Reese chose to use it in the end, but I just, I thought it was kind of interesting that, that, uh, there wasn't in, in current 40k, there wasn't really a penalty for bringing a bunch of malefic lords other than the kill point mission. Right. But even then it wasn't, it wasn't the best. Um, people were still going to bring malefic lords and primaris psychers. So headhunter was just something that, that I thought would make a lot of sense, right? Characters are still really hard to kill. And by design, these secondary missions are supposed to be really hard to max out. You know, you need to be, you need to be really be able to pick carefully. And sometimes picking, picking a secondary that that's only going to get you two points, but guaranteed to get you two points is better than picking a secondary that you could potentially max out on, but would be a lot harder to achieve. Right. So it's, it's, Definitely going to be an interesting dynamic, and also maybe picking stuff that your opponent doesn't necessarily think you're going to pick, right? So that you change your game style up, and I'll explain this when we get to specific secondary objectives because I'm thinking I have a few in mind. But it's just it's going to be very interesting, and you always want to maximize your points with these, and you obviously you want to pick the ones that you can maximize easily, but hopefully. Unless your opponents, unless your oppo- if you're hopefully you, you've designed a list that your opponent that is hard to maximize points, secondary points on for your opponent. And also y- your opponent hopefully did not build a list that's easy to maximize points on. So, so headhunter, secondary missions are essentially trying to curb the more powerful army builds and punish players for bringing them, uh, like Malefic Lord spam and Psyker spam and character spam. So headhunter, you get one point for destroying an enemy character this particularly punishes the assassin character heavy armies because assassins are naturally a lot easier to kill than things like malefic lords and primary psychers but this also hurts guard and chaos soup a lot the chaos soup obviously you have your like chaos sorcerers randomly and your your lords and then the changeling and then the malefic lords and then you might have like like an exalted champion or some other random chaos mook and you know plus magnus who's also a character or 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 mortarian. It's th- there tends to be a lot of characters in the Chaos Soup armies and the Imperium Soup armies like Celestine, Primary psychers, commissars, company commanders, deep striking Tempestus Scion Prime, Tempestor Primes and Allegian company commanders. It's just the list goes on and on a- and you don't really think about it, but when your characters start giving up individual points, you start to realize, you know, how how much you have to rely on those characters because those characters need to be in positions to succeed, but also how easy they are to kill. The only reason why they weren't so easy to kill before is maybe because, you know, your opponent never really had any incentive to, right? It was it would be not wor- it'd be too much trouble to shoot a character to shoot a Colexis assassin behind another Colossus assassin. You have to kill both of them. Uh, but this not only I think encourages melee armies, which are a lot better at killing characters because you can essentially just ignore the character rule by charging the character plus the thing that's blocking them. Uh, but it also hurts the armies that rely on characters heavily, like the specifically Chaos Soup and Imperium Soup armies. So it's pretty cool. Uh, there's Kingslayer, which is you choose a single enemy model that is a character. And you do this as soon as you pick secondary objectives. Uh, you earn one point for every two wounds you deal to it cumulatively. And then if the character has a vehicle or the monster keyword, you earn one point for every three wounds you dealt to it. So uh, this is... This is not meant to get you four points on everything it's just it's meant to to basically get you points if you have a hard time if, if you know that your opponent doesn't have a lot of characters that are easy to kill and you need points right you, so so you pick something like magnus or gilliman or mortarian i mean let's be honest here this this one is basically a uh, shot at at large characters like magnus the red and mortarian who who are these big models that we want to incentivize you to kill, right? Because because they're very powerful models. And if you don't get points for killing them, then you, you're you always going to kind of feel bad whenever you do try and hurt them. And you realize that, y- you know, you could put those resources elsewhere and maybe win, but then you have to deal with a Mortarian and a Magnus. So there's some give and take there. But essentially, you're going to want to use this if you know that, the you're going to want to shoot that big character anyways that magnus and that Mortarion. you're going to want to shoot that big character anyways o- or even gilman if if you want to keep you can even pick a character that's that you think you can get later on in the game right maybe are uh, an Elysian company commander or saint celestine this is especially good on saint celestine who likes getting in your face and she's she can be a heavy point investment especially with the gemini superior but if you pick a unit like saint celestine you you can essentially either say like hey you know she only has six wounds or five wounds i think she has six wounds but you can only get 3 points but if she comes back to life that's how i get my extra four po- my extra four points because you know you can you can put three six six wounds on her which gets you 3 points then when she gets back to life you can hurt her again uh and then do another two more damage to her later on, which, of course, will get you your maximum four points. So she's already... She's one of those rare characters that is not a vehicle or monster that can actually give up four points. So it, it is a target at her, not specifically, but Kingslayer is, does hurt models like her, as well as Mortarian and Magnus, who you can also get four points on if you kill them. But you can use that to kind of detract your opponent from playing aggressively with her. So if you're an army that... That has a hard time dealing with Saint Celestine, especially once she gets back up. You can just say, "Hey, I pick Celestine, and if you want to give me a free three points, put her in my line." And if they don't do that, that's obviously winning for you because you have less pressure on you. You can play a lot smarter. You can get those primary missions. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting potential for for mind games with your opponent in the secondary missions. The third one is the Reaper. You earn a point for every enemy unit destroy that began the game with ten or more models. If a unit begins the game with 20 or more models, you earn two points for destroying it instead. So it's essentially, it's punishing uh, brimstone horror spam and and, cult, and cultist spam and conscript spam and heavy body spam. Uh, killing, killing 10 units with 10 or more models is already actually really difficult to do, especially against like a chaos list with alpha legion cultists, <clears throat> you know, or, or maybe a 10 men gray knight unit of, of, you know, marines right so it's it's already actually kind of difficult and, and a serious investment you know if you think about it you're, you have to chew through 10 or 20 wounds which with uh, a normal strength four gun against something like conscripts you, you're gonna have to shoot a minimum of of triple the amount you need to kill right so because you're, you're hitting on a third of with a third of all your shots and then wounding with a third of all your shots so you're already gonna want it's already a significant points investment to kill a 20 wound unit or a 10 wound unit right so they're already really common so this might incentivize people to design lists to run nine man units of certain units not obviously not cultists and conscripts because i think they're minimum 10 and 20 respectively but it'll incentivize people to not go to 10 or more models in a unit which which is good you you know you're you're kind of limiting people in a sense uh you're you're kind of promoting this this uh list design this intelligent list design and uh you're stopping the the power armies essentially you're stopping the horde armies which which is good too uh it kind of punishes players for doing that because those armies will bleed 10 model units especially like a cultist unit you know it makes those backline brimstone horrors and those backline cultists uh you know prime targets because previously especially with the chaos supless i would have a, personally have a hard time dealing with the soup the the aggressive things that they put in front of me so like the berserkers and the magnus and the large cultist squad and the obliterators and the hq choices and you know the berserkers and the noise marines e- everything they would put in front of me i'd have to deal with all that and e- even if i did manage to deal with it i had to you know then deal with all these brimstone horrors in the back that I had pretty much no reason to shoot at before, right? Because they would just put three Brimstone Horror units on an objective. They were all obsex, So you are like, okay, why would you shoot at them ever? Because, you know, you're not going to spend your entire shooting, turn shooting, killing 30 units, uh, 30 models, very, you know, with your entire shooting, because they're Brimstones, they have four up inborn, And th- there was no real point to shooting at them. Now you can shoot at them. You can kill one squad at a time, which gets you one point, And then you can kind of split your shots and kind of you know you, you there's a reason for going after the those brimstone hoarders and those cultists in your opponent's backfield or those 10 man units in your opponent's backfield now they you know other than just ignoring them until the end of the game it's it, it gives you more options and then there's big game hunter one point for every model with 10 or more wounds that you destroy so this obviously hurts something like knights uh razorback spam storm raven spam vehicle spam all all of those all of those lists that that spam toughness seven um, th- this list kind of hurts them harlequins i actually i think harlequins Starweavers I think kind of have less than ten wounds, so I think harlequins are okay but it, it's essentially designed to to stop people from bringing more than three or four uh vehicles or something uh you know or punish them for that and this is actually this is a very good one if your opponent has things like rhinos. Anyways, right. So even if they have like three rhinos, if you know those rhinos are carrying important cargo, just pick big game hunter. Rhinos are pretty easy to kill, right? You can get ten, you can get three points, an easy three points there. Especially if your opponent, if you know your opponent's going to have to give you those models to as part of their game plan, or if you have to kill those models anyways. Like if they're a three-man predator unit with the predator stratagem, you know you're going to have to deal with them anyways. So big game hunters is basically. How many monsters slash vehicles your opponent has and how easy are they to kill? That's kind of what you want to look at there. I think with the exception of people who are going to spam lists like Storm Raven lists and Razorback lists, I think that you're, you're going to want to pick a Big Game Hunter if your opponent has three vehicles or more, period, um, and if your list can kill vehicles pretty well. And then there's Titan Slayers, which is for every eight wounds dealt to units with the Titanic keyword uh, throughout the course of the game, you earn one point. So this this is obviously a target at knights and baneblades and other things. It, it's it's if your opponent, basically, this is something so that you can hurt knight armies because you can't really pick the Reaper against knight armies. You can't really pick, you know, Kingslayer, or Headhunter because they don't have characters. So this just kind of throws a bone to people so that knight armies don't just pick it and and win because they're killing more units than you and always holding an objective. So they're always able to, to you know keep up with you in primary and then they're impossible to score on. So you have to pick Titan Slayer. Uh, I actually think this pick, Titan Slayer actually makes Knightless better, the, the Knightless better in general, uh, just because Knightless are actually kind of hard to score on in this format. Uh, you can definitely have things like Recon, which actually I skipped. Uh, recon is you have a unit at least partially in each table quarter at the end of your player turn a uh, unit may only count as being in one table quarter at a time for the purpose of this rule, and you get one point per turn period. So, uh, re- recon is very very easy to score on knights, so, because they can't zone well, but if the knights player is intelligent and just keeps you out of basically their zone, and kind of just makes their zone like a no-man's land, or a no-fly no, no fly zone, then you can have a lot of trouble, because uh, you won't be able to get behind enemy lines, And they will, in the meantime, if you can't kill the knights, if you don't have a list designed to kill knights, they they can put the hurt on you and they can go up in points heavily, right? So even if you have a list that's designed to kill knights, a knight list could go up in points. They could kill more units than you. They could potentially even have more objectives than you if you can't fight them properly for objectives and if they're going second uh they, they'll obviously they'll kill more units than you and hopefully kill more units than you and kill a unit period so they should be scoring three points a turn on primary uh, you won't be scoring four points because you won't kill more units than them because they are a night player uh you're only going to be able to kill more units than them once or twice because they have so few units in their army and then you still have to deal with you still have to deal with um the secondary missions you have to score as well so th- the itc scenarios do favor knights a little bit more which i don't think is a bad thing because knight lists are very uncommon and very underpowered right now they could use a little bit of a boost but anyways the reason that's the reason why titan slayers was picked titan slayers was picked so that you you could have some sort of scoring against knights because otherwise knight lists would just run amok because you, you couldn't be able to outscore them uh, so behind enemy lines you get one point for every unit at least partially within 12 inches of your opponent's deployment board edge at the end of the game uh, this is replacing line breaker you no longer need to have a single unit in your opponent's deployment edge at the end of the game you always need to be have a present your opponent's deployment edge at this game uh, this is obviously really good if you have a mobile army an alpha strike army uh, an assault alpha strike army particularly and it also hurts players or hurts lists that don't really have a backfield, um, lists like uh, the character lists, the character spam lists, and my list, uh, and Tyler DeVries' list to an extent, lists that have a lot of deep striking uh, and a lot of units and, and they want to be mobile, al- uh, assault oriented lists, you know, low model count lists, etc., etc. And then finally, death by a thousand cuts, each time you destroy three or more enemy units in a single battle round, you earn one point. And this is just to to give players with uh, to, to hurt players who run MSU. So like things like Berserker spam, right? Uh, technically, if you just bring thirty nine nine-man, a bunch of nine-man Alpha, Alpha Legion Berserker units, you won't be able to get the Reaper on them. Uh, it'll be very tough to get Either recon, or it'll be very tough to get recon. Especially, uh, you won't be able to get big game hunter. You won't be able to get titan slayer if there's not a lot of characters, or if the characters are hidden. Well, you won't be able to get king slayer headhunter. So this is just to kind of stop the really powerful elite armies from just taking over. Uh, death by a thousand cuts. It's just simply if you kill three, you, three or more enemies in a single turn, you earn one point. And that, that's good. That's also good because uh, mortar teams don't actually qualify for any of the kill units things. So <clears throat> so you now you have incentive to kill mortar teams, uh, and it also stops your opponent from running really cheap things like Cyberwolves and mortar teams and what what uh, Elysian squads. The not the command squads, but the the smaller. I guess yeah, Elysian command squads and just little tiny little tiny units that people tend to spam for for either for drops in the case of Cyberwolves and Mortar teams, uh or or for for MSU killing like the Plasma Scions and the Berserkers. So th- that kinda targets them. And then the scenarios are all I don't really need to talk about the scenarios. There's uh there's six objective there's a six objective one. There's a four objective cross one. There's actually two four objective ones. There's three four objective ones. There's one where the there's only three objectives, and then there's uh one with only two objectives. So, uh, essentially essentially uh they're they're kind of they're kind of an ode to the there's no relic, there's no single objective one and there's all there's for the most part majority four and six objectives. The the ones that get very interesting are the scenario 6 where there's only two objectives and to score those objectives one of those two objectives they are taken hold objectives you have to have the most units within nine inches instead of three inches and then obsect has no effect on the take and hold so that that kinda heavily promotes y- you know building a gun line around that u- unit or around that objective mm-hmm. right cause and also keeping your opponent out of your line cause it's a nine inch instead of a six inch instead of a three inch uh... movement or uh, distance to get to, to score the objective your opponent can pressure a lot harder uh, which gives you more incentive to defend it more and that does fit certain armies play styles differently than others and promotes more balanced game lists more balanced game play design or gameless design but uh, essentially the things you want to take away from this are you always want to be able to kill you in every turn so you, you should design a list that that takes over the board and gives you the flexibility to score recon or to score your deployment edge one or one of the mission, one of the movement based secondary objectives because essentially what this comes down to is is you always want to be able to kill a unit every turn. You're always going to be able to hold an objective every turn unless unless you have a really really elite army that can't do it. Uh, But for the most part you should be able to hold an objective every single turn. That's that's something you should do. If your opponent stops you from doing that, there are you're in a, a tough situation anyways. And you should always be able to destroy one one or more enemy units. That's just something naturally your list should be able to do. So uh, the two points are almost always a gimme for the first few turns because you should be able to do those. You should be able to do those consistently. So design your list to be able to kill a variety of toughnesses in no matter where they're hiding. So if you're bringing like, like an aggressive close combat army that ne- can't necessarily get your opponent turn one, this might not. You might want to reconsider your list. You might want to add some long range firepower or anything like that, just to be able to kill units because you want to maximize those points. <clears throat> and then I think you want to, uh, you want to find a balance between board denial and board presence, and lethality. Uh, I think lists that do one without the other like pure board presence lists that take cover the entire board uh, they might not do so well because they'll start bleeding units not even rapidly let's just give you a scenario let's say you have a guard army with with maybe one manticore one earthshaker so they're able to kill you know one thing right one thing that, that they're very good at killing <clears throat> and then a ton of mortar teams that can kill another thing and then a lot of conscripts and primary seekers or short range shooting that's not going to be able to kill stuff on your turn one. Yeah, you'll be able to reach out and kill something and maybe even two things with the mortar teams, but if your opponent has an ability to kill three things, not only will they kill more units than you, but they'll only having only being able to kill three things means that they'll save more units to kill in the future right so you'll always you'll always be bleeding units to 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 kill for your opponent throughout the whole game so your opponent might just end up killing just enough to kill just enough units to get that extra point to destroy more units than you but because you brought so many units they can control how many units they're killing in a turn uh which means they can control the pace of the game and the point scoring of the game so just kind of keep that in mind. How easy are your units to kill? How many units do you have? How many units do you expect your opponent to kill turn one? And how many points is that going to get them? So if you feed your opponent, you know, if you have a 20 unit army, 20 units in your army, and you feed your opponent 12 units the first turn, yeah, your opponent's going to get two points for that, right? They're going to get the destroying unit and destroy more units than your opponent. But when you only have those eight units left, and especially if they're really hard to kill eight units, you're very quickly going to rack up more points you're always going to be holding an objective hopefully uh you're always going to be destroying at least one unit if if you're intelligent about with the units that you pick to survive and then you know your opponent will be able to kill maybe one or two but if they kill the your remaining eight units out of that 20 you're, you're going to get tabled and you're going to lose anyways right so th- this is assuming that after they kill that many you still have a real shot so intentionally designing your list to have chaff units that are extremely easy to kill early on, but that your opponent needs to kill, uh, or or needs to kill when they have the opportunity to. So a perfect example would be like mortar teams, who are also simultaneously good and bad in these missions. Uh, you your opponent might have just one shot to kill all your mortar teams if you keep them all together, maybe with like a close combat or a particularly nasty shooting attack. But they definitely want to kill them all because your opponent may be bleeding they have a lot of cultists so they might have uh brimstones or something they might be bleeding a lot of units as well so if your opponent has the opportunity to kill all those mortar teams will they or will they not it's it's there's a lot of interesting scenarios and a lot of give and take and so you should definitely design your list to be balanced and to always to to always give your opponent a little bit of killing units um unless you decide to run with an elite army uh then you're definitely going to always destroy more units than your opponent but then you're in danger of you know being tabled and because elite armies in this position right now are not they're not optimal they're not in the best positions so it's just there's going to be a lot of interesting things uh when you're designing your list think about the how easy it is for your opponent to score on you uh throughout the whole game throughout the entirety of the game think about the units you're obviously going to lose uh, you know it's very easy to do, especially if you played a lot of games with your army. You know what units are going to die all the time. So start start counting how many units in general you're going to lose every turn, and then use that to map out a points path for your army. Right. So if you're if you know you're going to lose a lot of your lethal units turn one and turn two, you know map that out and plan for plan for recon and plan for behind enemy lines and play that game and play the objective and the board the board presence game and the survival game. So there's a lot of interesting ways to win, and also the other thing too is even with, even with, uh, even if you feel like you're going to lose, you still want to maximize the amount of points you get because they're obviously out of a potential with the with the special scenario, the special objectives that you can get for each mission, you can get potentially uh, 42 points. So because there's a lot more points, point battle points are going to be a lot more important in terms of you know your your scheduling and even placing right and you get itc points based off of your placing not based on how many wins and losses you get in a in a game so you want to maximize the amount of points you have so even if you have one loss if that's a high point battle point loss because you could lose 42 to 41 right and that's an insane amount of points you'll have more points than a lot of people who who have maybe if you're four and one You'll have a lot more points than people who are three zero and two with two draws, or with draws that equal your loss or equal your win. If you get what I'm saying, uh, so you want to maximize the amount of points you have, which increases your standings, and that can also, if you're really, if you're really intuitive and if you, you're really paying attention, you can also kind of dodge and get the matchups you want. So, and th- this is this is I, I don't know how certain people feel about it. I personally like it, but it's kind of a weird meta situation where if for example if you see a guy with a list that you that you can really beat maybe he's got green knights, and you're like I want that guy I want to play that guy and he's roughly got the same score as you you can kind of map out the amount of points you get so let's say you need to get 24 points to match him because he finished his game early so you need to get 24 points to match him to get uh points scored so you could just potentially if you're already beating your opponent you could just potentially just stop scoring points on purpose intentionally or if you need to get 40, 40 points to get him then you start you keep maxing out points until you get to that 40 it's just it's really interesting because points are so easy to score and not easy to score because there's so many points to score you can kind of control where you'll end up and that's cool i think i like that but Anyways guys, that's pretty much it. That's all the time I have. Uh, I am sorry I didn't have a guest for the show. Uh, I know you guys don't like these, but I I just wanted to talk to you guys about the ITC missions and kind of my thoughts and feelings about them. I wanted to go over them and I wanted to go over the meta because right now the the meta is an interesting spot and by interesting I mean not the best spot. There's a definite over-centralization between Chaos armies and Imperium armies and I think obviously that'll change by the LVO, but that's important for you guys to know for when you guys start building your lists so if you're building your lists plan on running into the chaos soup and the imperium soup armies uh, with ev- each army is going to have its own little flavor but in general expect to see the usual suspects consistently so anyway guys guys, thanks very much for listening and for two for listening to this almost two hour long episode or hour and a half long episode uh, and no commercial Remember Frontline Gaming sells GW products at fifty percent off MSRP. We have a second hand shop, we have a paint studio, we have ITC terrain, we have FLG Mats. Purchasing from us supports us and keeps you know, my family fed as well as recent Frankie keeps the roof over their heads. So supporting us is always appreciated. So if you want to purchase stuff, we have all sorts of services and goods for you guys to sell. Thank you guys. Have a good one.